Welcome to In Our Experience, a podcast exploring the many ways of living well with Nourish Yoga Training. I'm your host, Harriet, yoga teacher and founder of Nourish. Today, I'm joined by Amelia Wood. Amelia is a yoga teacher and academic. Her yoga teaching is inclusive, therapeutic and centers the student's individual needs with an emphasis on embodied mindful movement, breath awareness and deep relaxation. She is currently a PhD candidate researching spiritual abuse within modern transnational yoga at SOAS. This project aims to center survivors' testimonies and is a specifically feminist endeavor. I had a fabulous time chatting with Amelia. We talked about pretending to be Kate Bush, the importance of recognizing power dynamics within yoga, and having a person-centered approach. Just a small content note on this episode, we discuss in general terms abuse within yoga, but without detailing any specific instances. I loved chatting with Amelia and I can't wait to hear what you think. So as always, do feel free to let us know. You can pop us an email, finding how to contact us in the show notes. Right, here's my chat with Amelia. Hi, Amelia. Welcome to In Our Experience. Hi, Harriet. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you here today. We are going to get started, as I do every week, by asking you what's nourishing you. Now, this can be anything. It can be very serious. It could be very silly. It can be small. It can be big. Um, And I will help you by sharing my nourishing thing first. So, This past weekend, I got out of Oxford and I went to London, which felt like a very big deal for the weekend to see some friends. And it was just, it was just so nice to be somewhere else and connecting with people and doing different things. I I can often end up living in a little bit of a Oxford bubble Um, and, you know, like most people, I really haven't been very many places in the past two years. So it felt really nice to get out of Oxford and just have a bit of a refresh and then to come home and then also appreciate how wonderful home is. So that's my nourishing thing. Uh, How about you? Yeah, that sounds great. So um, yeah, I mean, similar to you, I feel like I can just get, um, I live on top of a hill. So rather than a bubble, bubble, I just get stuck up on the top of a hill but actually my nourishing thing this week is also on the weekend miraculously it wasn't raining in Yorkshire so um, I went out onto the moors um, and it was really windy you know it's really windy and sunny and all the clouds kind of swoosh by and it just feels like really wild and I walked straight out of my door up the moors um, and then I walked like to the highest point that I've been so far since since living up on this hill. So I could I had like a 360 view and it's just like, yes, this is the oh, reason I moved here. <laughs> that's majestic. Really nice. That's majestic. I am a little bit jealous of that because Oxford is flat as a fucking tack. There are no hills yeah. in Oxford. Like there are small slopes that when I cycle up, I'm like, whew. <laughs> but but there's no because we because we're in a valley here there's no there's no hills so I'm very jealous my follow-up question is do you ever pretend to be Kate Bush yeah so I I think about this on almost a daily basis 
<laughs> um, so where I live is not that far from where the Brontes lived. Um, and obviously I'm a huge Bronte fan and a huge Kate Bush fan. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every so often I'm like, okay, so how maybe I could get like a red dress with like this mm-hmm. white flowing fabric and I need to kind of cultivate some kind of excuse to get someone to to like take photos of me and all of my friends whilst it's windy on top of the moors. And then, um, yeah, it's it's one day it'll happen. So I do think about it quite a lot. <laughs> I haven't actually done it yet, though. Oh, gosh. Oh, well, I, too, am a big Bronte and a big Kate Bush fan. What is your favourite Bronte book? I'm putting you on the spot, but... Yeah, well, so when I was younger, it was Wuthering Heights. And I think as I got older, it's actually now Jane Eyre. So I thought, when I was quite young, I thought Wuthering Heights was really romantic. And then I... I reread it in my early 20s and I remember talking to a a friend about it on the tube and I was like, Heathcliff is just a wanker. Mm -hmm. And this woman who I didn't know just turned around to me and went, yes, he is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, solidarity, sister. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, now I'm I'm more of a Jane Eyre person. (laughs) I really don't rate Wuthering Heights. Mm -mm. No. I don't know. I think, like... My younger self was obviously caught up with the romance of it. Yeah, I do love Jane Eyre, but I think my favourite, favourite Bronte is, oh, it's hard. I really enjoyed The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Yeah, that's a good one, but it's quite depressing in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. I think I remember there being a point where I phoned my mum and I was like, is it worth finishing it is it is there's a there's a good there's a good resolution there the other one that's really depressing and bleak is Viette where she's like a governess in Belgium and she has a like psychotic break and she's wandering the streets and it's really rainy um and then she gets saved I haven't read that oh it's great yeah Yeah. I've got a copy I've got a really nice copy that I'm gonna I'll read one day yeah I'm I'm a little bit of a completionist when it comes to uh Victorian literature so I tend to read every Everything. So I've read like all of Austen, all of the Brontes, oh, wow. most of Thomas Hardy. Like I just, it's, it's, you know, it takes up, you know, a significant yeah. amount of time, but I do You're committed. It. I'm committed. <laughs> I think I'm more, um, I think I'm a bit of like a, someone who picks and chooses. I'm, I'm like less committed, but I am very into, you know, when I'm into something, I'm very into it. So particularly like. Jane Eyre and when I was going through the Wuthering Heights phase I was very into that I also really enjoyed the Michael Fassbender Mia Wasikowska interpretation or adaptation of Jane Eyre yes um that was great I know also Michael Fassbender is just delicious (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't know if he's my type but yeah he was a very good he was good in that yeah, no, I have a t- I'm very aware that I have a type. I'm not- <laughs> it's like tall, like dark hair, beady, you know, emotionally unavailable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, Michael Fassbender is um, Mr. Rochester is just sticking all my boxes. Nice. Um, 
Well, I really enjoyed that little like Yorkshire Bronte diversion. Uh, but let's come back. Let's come back to you. So tell me, I would love to hear a little bit about your your background and how it is you would describe what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a yoga teacher. I train yoga teachers and I'm an academic. Um, I've been teaching yoga since my early 20s, so for about 12 years now. And I started teaching immediately after I did like a very brief 200 hour intensive course. And then at the same time, I began like a more lengthy training as a yoga therapist. Uh, But before that, I, so like prior to my yoga teacher persona or yoga teaching life, I worked in a different, a, a couple of different art galleries in arts education um, at a commercial art gallery, you know, I volunteered for arts companies. Um, I worked as an artist assistant. So I was really trying to find my place in the art world, uh, but I just couldn't really find it and decided to sack it off and become a teacher instead. Um, uh, yeah. And then after a few years of teaching and like training to be a yoga therapist and, and working with, with people one-to-one, I did an MA at SOAS in the traditions of yoga and meditation. And then a few years after that, I started my PhD research on abuse in yoga communities. Um, so that is something that I've been thinking about for quite a long time. Um, when I was training to be a yoga therapist, my teacher didn't shy away from talking about the yoga industry. Mm. And whilst I was training, it was um, at the time, John Friend of Anyasari Yoga was like exposed on an anonymous website as um, for like various kind of uh, misconducts. And then quite soon after that, several lawsuits were brought against Bikram Chowdhury and he was accused of um, like sexual harassment and sexual assault. So, um, so it's something that I've always known about and thought about. And I was like thinking how I could write about these things in a positive way, or, you know, like not that abuse is ever positive, but, but kind of engage with what's happening in the yoga industry. And that's really what led me to do my PhD work that I'm in the midst of now. Oh, that's so interesting. I, <clears throat> so I am also an art world exile. I'm not sure if you know this, know this about oh, me. Oh, no, I don't. Um, yeah, no, I'm a trained art historian. Um, oh, wow. And then, yeah, sacked it off to be a yoga teacher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I resonate with you on that. But um, I think I really remember this time that you were talking about, because it's sort of like, I'm trying to, this is like 2014, 2013. Yeah, so 2012, 2013, 2014, yeah, mm. that kind of time. And it was it was like one thing after the other, you know, they just kept on coming. And it, um, yeah, because also 2013 was when um, the Australian Royal Commission happened, yes. which exposed more information about what happened in the Satyananda ashrams in Australia as well. So mm. yeah, it was kind of one thing after the other. Yeah. I mean, heavy. Yeah, it is. It is. It is heavy. I think it's like, I, I, I mean, one of the things that I'm, I often experience and you must experience this even, even more. And I think is that often people 
who are perhaps outside of yoga or even, you know, coming into the yoga industry for the first time, you know, because of the sort of work that I do, I work, you know, I'm a survivor, I work with survivors and I spend a lot of time platforming survivors' stories, but people are often genuinely surprised that there is an abuse problem within yoga. They're like, oh, but yoga is like so nice. And I'm like, well... Yeah, yoga's so nice. Everyone's so friendly. Don't you have niyamas and yamas to stop abuse happening? Yeah, if one more person says that to me, I will smile sweetly at them and lecture them. <laughs> I will corner them and give them a lecture. <laughs> yeah. So what's so give give me the lecture. What would you what would you say to those people? How do you yeah, how do you navigate that? So so recently I've been teaching this course on women in yoga and like the history on women in yoga. And that's what I did my research, my master's in. And as I was doing that, it really occurred to me that one of my, the big questions that came up was like, where was feminism when yoga was happening? Like when modern yoga was happening, um, as yoga became something that women did it was really to support them so that they could be like better housewives and better mothers and help them give birth. And it was really um, not really for their political and economic liberation. So that's like the beginning of my lecture is that yoga is not feminist space mm. and yoga is just part of our wider society um, and it's not unique in any way. So this is really kind of clear and blatant when when you look at all the reports that have come out from this Royal Commission, Australian Royal Commission, um, into institutional uh, responses to child sexual abuse. So they um, investigated child sexual abuse in all sorts of organisations. So like um, sports clubs, schools, uh, religious groups. Um, and then the Satanyanda yoga, the mangrove mountain mm. Satanyanda yoga ashram is just one of those organizations that's part of this kind of systemic problem and yoga, because it exists within our society and our society has a rape culture. It's, it's not separate, um, or, or kind of protected from from that kind of thing mm. it's the same it's it's the same it's you know in yoga contexts uh people use different words to manipulate people into and coerce them into doing things they don't want to you know they might use like more spiritual religious language i hear that. i think a few sort of thoughts I have around that. Firstly, I like as uh, I was living in Australia, so the uh, Australian Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was living in Australia just as that was completing. So, and it was a very like as a cultural moment within Australia, it was a really big deal. Yeah. And they, imagine. you know, as you said, it was incredibly wide reaching. Um, and we can we can link to the findings in the show notes if people are interested. Um, but it yeah, it was it was really massive. So I think 
you know, what you're saying about people understanding that yoga doesn't exist outside of the culture that we live in, I think is really, really important because there is this sort of um, like an othering of yoga in a way that uh, in my mind is potentially linked to essentially like an, an, an exoticization of the practice. It's like, well, because it's from a different culture or because it's from a different place, like it doesn't, it, it doesn't, be it doesn't get influenced by you know our broader society in the same way which is obviously just like bullshit yeah totally and I think that attitude is was part of the problem in this ashram because um quite a few of the people that came forwards as adults had reported um the abuse they'd experienced to even to the police um, and to like, you know, people, adults, other adults who were in the ashram, one, you know, one of them was a doctor um, and the children just weren't believed. Mm. Um, And I think it's partly because of a reluctance to believe that yoga is just part of our wider society and has the same problems that other communities do. Um, yeah, there's this, people just want to believe that it's like a, this pure thing. Mm. Um, well, and I think that's sort of, that, that ties into your point around how the, the language is different in, in yoga spaces that often like leads to, uh, you know, abuse and man- manipulation and coercion. And I think potentially one of the most, I mean, I've certainly had experiences, not not abuse on on this on the scale we're talking about here, but I've had experiences with teachers where I, you know, this is a long time ago now, but you know, uh, I was a regular student at a at a teacher's class, um, a male teacher, and I would have been like mm, nineteen, twenty, and I, you know, went every week sometimes I went he there were two classes a week and um and I would go and there was a you know I really enjoyed it I was seeing a shift in my you know in my well-being because of it um so I had a lot of respect for this teacher and you know I guess associated a lot of benefit to the experiences that I had with him um, and then one day he asked me out for pizza and I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, thanks. Yeah. And then I started talking to like a few years later when I started doing my teacher training, you know, cause the, the cause the thing is, is that yoga teachers are fucking gossips as well. Like we just talk <laughs> to everybody about everything. Yeah. And we would talk, I was talking about this particular teacher and a friend of mine who was also a yoga teacher was like, oh yeah, I had a weird experience with him as well. And I was like, what the, like, you know, and I guess like I, I sort of had enough of a, I, tr- I trusted my instinct enough and like, who, who knows what would have happened? Like it could have been particularly like perfectly harmless, but obviously there was something there where I was like, mm, no. Yeah, your your instinct said no. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because you could, um, and this happens all the time, people are like, oh, well, he was probably just being friendly. He mm. saw you once or twice a week anyway. And and saying that, you know, maybe you could have gone for pizza and it could have just been friendly, but it does feel a little bit like crossing a line because mm. there's an inherent power imbalance. Like, he's your teacher so would your would a teacher at your school or even like a university lecturer ever ask you out for pizza that would be weird to me like maybe mm. drinks at the end of term I, but but, but just in a group you, yeah exactly in yeah. a group well I think I think this is a really valid point and even when uh, even when you do the most work to sort of level the hierarchy of the teaching space. And I, you know, I'm saying this to my trainees all the time. I'm like, even if you think that you teach in a collaborative, community-focused way, there is still a power dynamic. Like we can't, you know, whatever we whatever we do to try and combat that, like that is always going to exist there to a certain extent. So it's something that we have to take really seriously and you know really take responsibility for as yoga teachers yeah and not deny that it doesn't exist like occasionally I hear yoga teachers kind of deny that they're not teachers and I just think why are we paying to come to your class then if you're not or did you not train yeah it's Mm. like yeah denying the fact you're a teacher yeah denies that inherent power imbalance and I think it also it it well, it's just it to me. It's just really dangerous. Like there are there are those people where they're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a facilitator. Like what I do is facilitate, or I'm a, you know, and I'm just like, no, like you're still a teacher and you're still in a position of authority. Like yes, there are ways of managing that so it's, um, you know. Uh, positive and like centers students' agency and is an empowering experience for them. But at the end of the day, like you're still the one at the front of the class or leading the class. And And you still have to hold the space to enable uh, students to feel self-empowered. And when, yeah. And like when people sort of, they're like, no, 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 that's not me. And they sort of like take their hands off. Like, I feel like often... I don't know for for some reason that is more that is more concerning to me than teachers who are deliberately deliberately manipulative of power imbalances like there there yeah. there are the teachers that reinforce it sort of knowingly and then there are the teachers who deny it exists and it's the denial that I think is often more risky than yeah because they don't understand their own responsibility Mm. if someone is manipulating the power dynamic they're no they know they're in they know they hold power Mm. um yeah whereas if they're denying they hold power then yeah there's there's less responsibility on the part of the teacher Mm. definitely um so i'm i'm curious to sort of see like how this I mean, I could keep talking about this, but I, a slight change in direction. Uh, I'm curious to know how this sort of filters through into your work more broadly. I, I think one of one of the things that I'm aware of with yoga teachers is that we're often very rarely just yoga teachers and you sort of do multiple things as well. And how, how your values sort of work across 
the things that you do? Like, do you have the same values, like, that express differently in each of the the sort of spheres of your life? Yeah, I think so. Well, certainly in the spheres of, like, what I would consider my work. So when I was training to be a yoga therapist, my teacher was, like... um, uh, was a, a Vinny yoga teacher. So yeah. Vinny comes from a yoga sutra and it just means to adapt. So to adapt yoga. Um, and that was really central to my training. And that that's why I wanted to do it. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to teach like prescriptive um, sequences. Mm. I really like this idea of adapting yoga to suit the needs of the individual or the, or the needs of a group of students in front of you. So yeah, in counseling, you might call this person centered and that's still how I teach today. And I, I think about it, you know, you can call it different things like about wanting to make yoga inclusive or accessible or therapeutic, but it's like, however it's described, it's it focuses on the needs of the student or the students. Mm. Um, And then in my academic work, in writing about abuse in yoga communities, my priority is the survivor. It's like, um, as you were talking about earlier, like platforming survivor voices um, to kind of redress the imbalance Mm. that, that exists already within the community, which really silences survivors voices so um those all those are like for yeah for me that's like one kind of grand vision Mm. um I think well I I love that because person-centered is one of nourishes values as well cool (laughs) um I think it's a real it's a real shift it's a it's a nice way to reframe how we think about these things often um one of the one of my biggest pet peeves about most contemporary yoga practice is that it's the practice that's centered over the person and yeah. mm, I just don't I just don't like it so it becomes about achieving the practice rather than about you know uh, the practice being a process that's happening for a person. Yeah. Um, so person-centered is, is a wonderful value. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. Excellent. I think it's also, I didn't realize that the person that you did your therapy training with was a Vinny yoga teacher because they are uncommon. There's not many of them around. Yeah. So my teacher was a, an, you know, an old guy called Paul, um, based in Bristol, Paul Harvey, and he um, trained with Deskachar for mm. a number of years. Mm. And for a while, Deskachar's uh, yoga was called Vini Yoga, yeah, and I then um, and then he kind of stopped using that that term. So there are probably more Vini yoga teachers out there than than we know of but nobody really uses that um as like a you know he he didn't want it to become like a a A brand brand type thing yeah Yeah. so yeah but but quite a few of the the teachers that I work with now have a similar kind of lineage not that I like the idea of lineage or I'm attached to it particularly um I really rate Desi Kachar like I 
you know, no teacher is no teacher is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I really feel like a lot of his work has really stood the test of time. It's, you know, um, and in fact, the heart of yoga, um, which we can link to, is one of the texts that I ask students on my 200 hours to buy because I'm like, this is like, it's not the perfect book, but no yoga book is ever perfect. Yeah, but, but it's, a, it's a good one. It's a good one. And it's just really well-rounded and... I think, you know, it's a text that I've been working with for a number of years now and every time I come back to it, I get something else, I get something different or, you know, more and, um, yeah, I really love it. Yeah, I'm um, soon I'm going to be teaching uh, on a 200-hour course as well and that is also one of the books I'm going to ask students to read. (laughs) It's also, I think, you know... I the sort of like the hagiography of Krishnamacharya aside at the beginning, like we could like if if they were ever to do a new edition, I was like we could take that bit out. Yeah, but <laughs> the you know the section on asana is sensible. Yeah, and you know and really accessible and very adaptable, I think as well. Yeah, and it feels quite like down to earth. Mm. and grounded yeah he's like live your life (laughs) like that's one of the consistent messages in there he's like he's like live your life do a bit of yoga try to be an ethical person and but like keep living your life it's very grounded great message yeah Yeah. (laughs) and it's like okay yeah I will just keep living my life and I'll do a bit of yoga and yeah Exactly. I also, I think one of the other things I really appreciate about that book is that the, in the philosophy sections, a lot of the, um, a lot of the chapters at the end have like a Q&A portion where it's like somebody has hypothetically asked a bunch of questions and Desika Chai has written a response. And I think that's such a clever, um, that's such a clever style of writing for those sorts of, you know, abstract ideas. Yeah, because they're probably the kinds of questions students ask over and over again. They probably asked him those questions over and over again. And Yeah. And for, for anybody that is sort of wondering who Desi Kachar was, so he was um, Krishnamacharya's son. So Krishnamacharya is sort of, I guess, like uh, the founder of, creator of modern postural yoga. Um, but really, he had a really interesting life, Desi Kachar, because he was an engineer and like he wasn't in the family business in yeah, any way. Yeah, quite later on in his life. Exactly. And he like really strongly identified as an atheist as well. Um, and I sort of, yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of time for him. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we are already out of time which is just shocking to me it always goes so quickly um so before we wrap up where can where can people find you what are you up to um do tell us um so you can find me on instagram i'm at amelia underscore wood underscore yoga uh my website is amelia at the moment, yeah, I've been teaching a course on um, women in yoga, so where we can find them in the history of yoga. And then also we kind of move up to the modern day and, and kind of 
address a lot of things we've been talking about today. Um, hopefully I'll teach that again. Um, and yeah, if you, I'm training, uh, yoga teachers on various courses, um, I'll post them all on Instagram. And you're doing, you're doing a course with us in November, our yoga trauma in the nervous system. Yeah. Um, I really rate Amelia's Instagram, everybody. She has excellent, (laughs) excellent taste in memes. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> she reshares um I'm always like whenever you have new stories I'm like oh this will be fun oh thank you yeah sometimes <laughs> I worry they're too like anti-capitalist angry feminist oh. tired woman type memes but if you're into those with a twist of dark humor um then yeah please do check them out yeah you should <laughs> um well wonderful thanks so much for joining me today Amelia it's been a real pleasure having you Thanks, Harriet. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to In Our Experience. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. We love hearing what you think and it makes a really big difference. In the meantime, until the next episode comes out, why not check us out on our Instagram account at Nourish Yoga Training or pop us an email via our website. See you soon.